in American society how the denigration of this country fell right in line with the denigration of God's word in public and in his church. Between the 1920s and 30s and 40s, nearly 90% of this country was devout Christians and every church in this country was full. And then come along this thing, well, we got to get the prayer out of school. And we got we to gotta get the prayer and the Bible out of public. And then pretty soon it went to the government now made a mandate where they can call this thing common law marriage. And marriage was taken away from the church as a religious institution and made a state institution. Do you realize that marriage for all intents and purposes, for all of history was part of religious religious sanctions they were it was at the discretion of the religious community they defined what marriage was in the 50s that changed and the government now got to say what marriage is and now they're redefining it again and again and again Then they said, oh, we don't, we don't believe in this, you know, uh, roles for men, men and women in the Bible. That's false. That's not right. That's not true. And they made a war against men and women who wanted to live honoring, God-honoring, biblical, Bible-believing lives where the men and women are brought together in holy matrimony forever. Where the man was the spiritual leader in the home and the woman and the children were all under there and they all lived in one perfect little harmony. But now we don't like that. We want to do it our way. And they've been doing it their way since then. And we're reaping the fruit of them doing it their way. We have no men in the home. We have no women in the home. We have, but now we're at the point where there's no mothers, there's no fathers, there's no men, there's no women. Why? Because every one of these things that this country promotes is absolutely against what the Bible says. The Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman. We don't believe that. We think anybody can get married to anybody. The Bible says that God created them male and female. And biologically, that's true. There are men and women, period. In the story, that's not something that's up for debate. But in our current culture, it is. Why? Do you want to know why? Because back in the 70s and 80s, churches started capitulating and saying, you know, maybe they're right. And the church gave some more ground and some more ground. And some more ground. And now when you actually stand up with a Bible in your hand and say, no, this is what the Bible says. They look at you and they say, oh, you're just some religious fanatic. That's not really what the Bible says. 
But here we are. Living in a day where men call good evil and evil good. We live in a day where if you want to do any grotesque thing under the sun, you can do it. But if you stand up and say that's wrong, that's not what the Bible teaches us. That's not what God's word says. You can go to jail in Canada. In Canada. And let me let you in on a little secret. If you don't think it's headed this way, you're crazy. There's coming a day when you stand up and say no marriage is between one man and one woman. And there is such a thing as men and women. And we won't, we won't play to the fiddler's tune that says there's not men and women. There's not mothers and fathers. We're not going to play to that tune. They're going to start throwing you in jail. And I hope you know enough about your Bible to actually stand up and make an actual defense of what God's word says and not just what you think. You see, I don't base anything that I do in this church off of what I think. I do it off of what this book says. Period. Whether I like it, whether you like it, whether you like it, it's what the Bible says is true. Everybody in this room, except for Kyle and Becca, was here when we went through 1 Timothy. Everybody was, let's go back a little farther. Everybody except Kyle, Becca, and Kenneth were here when we went through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. When we got to divorce, and you could have heard a pin drop in this room when I read Jesus' words on divorce. Where Jesus said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And this is the way it's always been from the beginning. That if a man leaves his wife, he causes her to commit adultery. And if he marries, an, uh, if he marries uh, 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 another woman, he's committing adultery. And if he marries a divorced woman, they're both committing adultery. That's Jesus' words. But when you read them, now, we made sure to make sure to understand that none of that was unforgivable sin, right? Can God forgive divorce? Surely he can. Amen? And there are actual biblical instructions about what divorce looks like. Do you realize in the New Testament there's three different reasons for divorce? Number one, fornication or adultery, right? Number one. Number two, I bet you don't realize this, but Paul said if, a, if uh, two people are married and one's a believer and one's not, if the unbeliever leaves, the believer is free of that person. That's Paul's own words. But if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay, you're bound to stay with them. They call that abandonment. Okay? It's abandonment. Thirdly is death. Those are the three reasons that somebody can marry somebody else besides the person they were married to. 
We don't like that, though. We want other clauses. We want, we want a thing that we call now irreconcilable differences. Do you know what I hear when I hear irreconcilable differences? Because I went through this, and I know exactly what irreconcilable differences means. It means one or both people just gave up and don't want to try anymore. They don't love that person, or they don't uh, think they love that person, or that person isn't worth enough for them to go ahead and keep trying to make their marriage work. People give up. And they think somehow that makes it all right. It's not. Do you realize that I sat in my living room floor and begged God to forgive me when me and Carmen had our biggest, worst year ever? And God put my family back together. But it wasn't because I was going, oh, we have every right to do this. It's because I realized, oh no, what a fool am I? I've sinned. I've sinned against her. I've sinned against God. And I need forgiveness. We need that kind of church back. We need a kind of church back that calls sin, sin. But it's not willing to let one perish. It's willing to love people right where they are. Just like Jesus did. I could preach this message. I don't think I want to now. I think I want to pray for our church. I think I want to pray for the people going to our church. I think that we need, above everything else, a real desire to be a church. I know this ain't expositional preaching. I know this ain't, you know, right down the aisle of we're going right through the scriptures. I can preach that message any day of the week, okay? I can tell you this. We live in a day and an age where people think they can make up the rules of Christianity as they go. And that ain't how it works. Do you realize what I did as a pastor just seven months ago, eight months ago, when I wasn't praying like I should have been, when I wasn't really seeking God about some things like I should have been? I got on my prayer, I got on my face in my own prayer closet, and I sought God's forgiveness for me being negligent in my duty as a pastor and taking that duty way too lightly. I guess it's been two two years ago or so now, I guess. But we need to understand, Christian, that this is not this is not just a place where we come and have good food on Sunday, which it is, because Carmen always cooks good, and so the rest of the ladies up here, okay? Y'all cook real good, and I like eating, okay, because I'm a Baptist. But we need, we need to be. We need to be on our faces. Amen? Amen? When we're just content with evil around us, when we're just content with evil in our home, if we're just content with evil in our own self, what is wrong with us? How far have we fallen from the gospel? How far have we fallen from what God's word calls every believer to do and to be 
Yes, we're to come to God just as we are. And he won't turn us away. That's true. But we are nowhere told to just sit there and stay right there. We are called to follow Christ. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. We're called to pray about everything. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm, I, I'm only going here because this is the most easy, this is the easiest example that I can give you. And I want to start at verse 10 of chapter 6. But I want to give you a background on how Ephesians goes. Can I do that real quick? So in Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul talks about the grace of God that has saved you and that you're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, God, Paul is talking about how we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? He talks about how it's a gift of God and it's not by works that we're saved by faith in Christ alone. And then he spends much of chapter 3 talking about boldness and then he prays for them, that great prayer that we've always me and Kyle have been praying over this church I have for the last year and a half. Kyle, for the last year, for this cause, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be strengthened in your inner man. Amen. That prayer that me and Kyle has been praying earnestly over this church, he prays, he prays that prayer for him. And then he spends much of chapter 4 talking about there's only one faith, only one baptism, only one Lord, only one God, and we're to follow him. And then he spends chapter 5 talking about husbands, love your wives, wives, submit yourself to your husband, children, obey your parents, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And he talks about slaves obeying their masters, having the heart of a servant, living their life. For this Christ that saved them by grace through faith. And we get to chapter 6. Where he's ending this discourse about obedience and how Christian living looks. And then he says, finally, my brother, in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do you understand that the devil is wily? He's tricky. He's got a plan to trick you, to trap you, to trip you up. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of this darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. You understand 
that the truth of God is what chastens you. Do you know what they used to put on uh, women in the Middle Ages? They, 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 they put on chastity belts. Why? To protect her virtue. Do you understand that the law of God is not abusive? It's there to make sure that you're living virtuous. It's there to protect your virtue. And if you're not walking in the truth of God's word, you are actually whoring yourself out to the world. That's what Paul, or uh, excuse me, that's what the prophets said of Israel in the Old Testament, is it not? He said, you have whored yourself to the nations. Why? Because you did not follow my commands and you've walked after other gods to serve them. Why is the truth around their belt? Why is the truth around their waist? Why? Because Christ wants to guard the seed that was planted in you. The precious seed of faith that was put in your bowels, in your loins, where you're to reproduce. But you reproduce after the truth of God's word. Not our own understanding, not our own ideas, but what God's word says. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall quench every fiery dart of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now what does he tell us to do with it? Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You see... While we're comfortable coming to church and we're comfortable having our, 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 our uh, I'm going to call it like I see it, we're, we're, we're good with having our Sunday country club. We're good with having our Sunday sit down supper time. But we need to be praying earnestly all the time with all prayer, with all supplication, not just for us, but for all the saints. As I sit and watch the television screen of hundreds and hundreds of people dying, I'm wondering how many of them are believers that I could have prayed for? How many of them are unbelievers that I should have been praying for? How many of them need to know Christ? Yet all I worry about is, you know, oh, this political agenda or that political agenda or this thing or that thing in my heart should be crying out for lost and dying people. For those who I count as brothers in the faith of Jesus Christ, that I pray that they would make a faithful stand even in the hour of their testing, even in the midst of circumstances that are beyond their control, where they should be walking in faith and praying earnestly that their children know God and telling others about Christ, even in the midst of their cities being bombed. And how about 
those men and women in Russia who don't agree with what's going on and maybe even the ones that do that are Christian that name the name of Christ I should be praying that God would be with them and open their eyes to the truth that they should be sharing Christ that they should be an example that they should be salt that they should be light I did not come here intending to preach this. I came here intending to preach John 8. I, I came here intending to expound upon the pericope of the woman caught in the act of adultery. But my heart is broken. My heart is broken because we seem so content in America. We're just got it so easy that, you know, do you realize? There are little kids that walk 15 miles just to go to church. Do you realize that in Cedarville, Kansas, there's a, there, there's a girl that is crippled who's bound to a wheelchair that still gets out of her bed on Sunday morning gets in that electric wheelchair and she wheels her way right down to New Hope Church, Cedarville, Kansas. Every time the door is open, she's there. Church, I love you. I love everybody that's came in this church, who's left the church, who's moved out of town. I love you. As a pastor, my heart is broken for you, for our town. How we, we can get out of church on Sunday and not even another thought towards God the rest of the day because we put in our hour and a half with Pastor and we had to listen to him preach for an hour and a half. And good gracious, Kyle's starting to preach just as long as him. You're getting there. Why? Do we come here? Are we coming here to be filled with, with the bread of heaven? Are we coming here to be renewed in the spirit of our mind that we might go out and live our life for Christ? Or are we just coming here to check off a box to say I made it to church this Sunday and not do anything else with Jesus? Is that what we're here for? Are we here? To worship the living and true God and really learn what it means to be a Christian. Really learn what it means to love God and love people. Amen? I want to do that. I want to I change Coffeeville. I want to change the world. Do you understand how moving it was to me? We haven't done anything for this church in Africa in over a year. That's a fact. Last year at this time, we spent, what, what, 4000 whatever dollars to, to finish paying off that land. This time last year, right? Haven't done a single other thing for that church, and they're still praying for you. And they still long to see some of us come over there and visit them and hug their kids and teach them about Jesus and love on them. I had men that I hadn't even met on a video call in tears 
Because they got to see me face to face and thank me for what God did through this church for them. I had people thanking me that doesn't even go to that church. They're just in the same organization with that church. And they were moved with compassion about how great God did for that little church in the middle of Uganda. Through a little bitty old church in Coffeyville, Kansas. Church, are you ready to do something else? Are you ready to do some great things? Because I want to do great things for God. I'm not done doing great things for God. I love expositional preaching. I love going through the Bible and seeing all the little nuggets of gold that I can mine out of it. But it won't mean a hill of beans if we don't go do something. It won't mean nothing. I'll be the greatest theologian of a flock of three. And I only said that because one of these days my kids are going to get grown. They're going to move out and go start their own lives. And I'll probably just be left with Kyle, Becca, and Carmen. <laughs> I say that in jest. Because we all, if all we do is come here and, and think this is it, we're missing it. This is great, and, and Sunday morning for Christians should be a great time of us learning God's Word and learning how to apply God's Word to my life. But if God's Word doesn't get applied to my feet and my hands and my mouth, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a thing. Amen? I'm not done with the vision that God gave us for this building. I'm not done with helping Coffeeville, are you? I'm not. I want to tell you one thing. August 9th, or August 9th, April 9th, April 9th, we have a team come in from the Southern Baptist Association, the local association. They're going to come in here and they're going to help clean all these walls in the sanctuary. They're going to help us do whatever else we need. And I've already sent out an email to about seven, eight other churches in Coffeeville that's going to come and help us on the 9th of April and help us get every single piece of junk off the floors of the three-story building, get it totally cleaned out on April 9th. Mark your calendar. I want people from this church to be represented in the people that are helping clean up this building on April 9th. We're going to get it smelling good. We're going to get it looking good. We're going to get it all cleaned out so we can keep doing what God told us to do. Amen? This message, if I could title it anything today, is we need to be people of action. Amen? We need to be putting to practice what we've learned. We need to understand, yes, we need to know the Bible. And I'm, that is not ever anything that I'm ever going to take lightly. Okay? Everybody in this room who knows me knows that I'm reading every day. Studying every day. I'm reading not just for my benefit, but that I can be a better pastor, a better leader, a better shepherd, a better husband, a better father. But if I don't put any of it to practice, 
It makes no difference. I've got a lot of knowledge. I want knowledge, but I want results. Amen? I want evidences of it working out in my life. Not in just my life, but in the life of, your, uh, of this church, in your life. Amen? Didn't we start this year off by saying we want to see mature Christians? Mature Christians are Christians that are doing. Amen? Not just hearing, but doing. I want a church of doers. And I know you're doers, okay? Because anytime there's a food thing going on or we have to make a, a, a meal for a family who needs a, you know, having a funeral or whatever, you guys are right there. We need to do the other things. Amen? Not get stuck where we're at. Why does Paul say pray with all kinds of prayer and supplication? Because prayer is the essential thing that the church should be doing. And it seems like it's the thing that the church does the least. Amen? I can, I can, I can say it like this. If I, if I called a prayer meeting for 24 hours, said, you guys don't have, you don't have to stay for 24 hours. You just have to show up within this 24-hour period where we're praying at the church. How many people we think would get here? Do you think everybody in the church would come once? I pray they would. I pray they would. But we're so stuck. We're so stuck in what our life should look like, what do we want it to look like. Look, I know we all got lives, okay? Look, Kyle works, Mike works, Carmen works, Sierra works. I mean, everybody's working. So we understand. I remember working nights at Walmart, and I'd be sitting on the front row at the First Assembly of God down there. And Randy the priest told me, after I fell asleep a couple times, he said, Look, Kevin, I know you're tired. He said, But I want to tell you how proud I am of you for even though you worked all night, that you came up here and you brought your kids and your wife to church. He said, You don't worry about falling asleep. He said, I'm just glad you're here. Look, I ain't expecting miracles from anybody. But I sure would be glad if they were here. Amen? We need everybody to do what God called this church to do. We don't need to. It, ain't, it can't be done with just me. can't be done with just me and Sierra. can't be done with just me, Sierra, and Becky. We need everybody, every part, doing its part. Amen? It starts with prayer. Nothing ever was eternally accomplished without prayer. Do you realize that the Son of God, who was God in the flesh, who came down here to seek and to save that which was lost, who came down here to suffer on the cross and die and rise from the dead, even the Son of God, the night that he was about to do that, spent the night in prayer. Church, we need to pray for our church. 
We need to pray for this church. We need to pray for our town. We need to pray for the other churches in town. We need to be praying for the other believers in town. We need to be praying for the lost people in this town. We need to be going and talking to these people. We need to be going and witnessing to them. And when I say witness to them, I don't, I don't mean every one of you has got to be as deep and theological as me and Kyle are. But all of you can do this. Hey, you got a problem in your life? Can I pray with you? Hey, do you, do, you, do you know Jesus? Do you want to meet him? And, and if they ask you questions that you don't know, call me. I'll help you. Call Kyle. He'll help you. Call Mike. He'll help you. You can call Carmen. You can call Shirley. You can call Tanya. You can call Roberta. You, amen? We don't have to do this by ourselves. Should be a team effort. Amen? Should be a family of God. That's what Paul calls it. Amen. I'm not here to just pastor a bunch of people I don't know. The Bible says, if I can't take care of my own family, how should I handle the household of God? You see how Paul said that the house of God or the household of God is supposed to be like a family. Amen. Brothers and sisters working together, loving one another praying for one another, serving alongside of one another. That's church. Amen? That's church. That's what I want our church to be. Amen? I know it's there, and we've done it. We did it a year ago. We did it the year before that. Amen? Let's do something great this year. Can we do that? Can we just set our minds to Get this building cleaned up and get, the, and get some more pews filled up in here and really start reaching Coffeeville with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that same prayer that Kyle and I have been praying. And some people go, oh, you're just repeating the same prayer, Pastor. That ain't going to do no good. Okay, then you tell that to the early church who prayed the Lord's Prayer over and over and over. Matter of fact, I challenge you to just get up every morning. And if you don't have a regular prayer life, you just start with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just get up and say that every morning. And then you start meditating on what that really means. It'll change your life. So I'm going to pray as we close. And I want to pray the words of the Apostle Paul that he prayed over the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length 
and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would bless your church today, that we would be driven to our knees, that we would be driven to our closets, that we would be driven to the church house, to the streets, to the highways and the byways that we would pray always with all prayer and supplication, that we would not faint. Help us this day, God. Give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray over the food.